recognize that when you're paying to have the phone ring, you probably need to answer the phone. And that, for me, it was like nights and weekends. I just didn't enjoy answering the phone, right? Having to always react to that phone. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. My mom always said it's rude to keep people waiting. Well, best ever listeners, that's exactly what you're doing if you're not funding your deals with our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding marketplace that matches up your deals with accredited and institutional investors who want to invest in your deal. Patch of Land literally has thousands of investors ready to fund your next deal. You don't want to keep them waiting, do you? And guess what? It's a lightning quick process too. In fact, the average Patch of Land loan closes in just seven days. Is a five to seven day close faster than how long it currently takes you to close on financing? And just think, wouldn't it be wonderful to have all of your financing needs taken care of for all of your deals? How many more deals could you close if you already knew where the money was coming from? With Patch of Land, you no longer have to worry about the financing part. They've got it taken care of for you. Go to Patch of Land and find out how to get your next deal funded by the thousands of investors waiting for you right now. Go to patchofland.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Andy McFarland. Hi, Andy. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Doing well. Thank you for joining us. Andy is joining us from Salt Lake City, Utah. He is the owner of Quality Property Renovations, which flips 10 to 12 homes a year. He is also the owner of Treehouse Investments, which wholesales over 100 properties a year. That's an incredible number in three different states. He has been an active investor since 2002 when he purchased his first property. And since then, he's purchased hundreds of properties and does hard money loans. Um, and he actually got fired from his last job. So I'm curious curious about that. Um, Andy, would love to hear more about your background and uh, what you're focused on now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my background is I'm an Army brat. So I was drug all over the country. Every two years we moved. So I've lived in New York, Virginia, Kansas, Germany, um, all over the place. And we landed in Utah. And uh, I'm the only entrepreneur in my family. My parents are the epitome of anybody that's read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. They're the epitome of the, uh, I guess, I don't know which one, it would be the rich of the poor, but the very educated army officers, master's degree. My mom's a physical therapist uh, and they love me to death. They support me, but they have no entrepreneurial flair in them at all. So um, as you mentioned earlier, I got fired from my last job. Um, I was a dock worker and I was skateboarding on the dock actually one night after we <laughs> clocked out and my manager decided he didn't like that, even though I'd done it before. Uh, for whatever reason, he told the terminal manager. I came in the next day, they said, don't come back basically. And I remember sitting on my front porch with my dad and he was so disappointed, not so much that I was skateboarding on the dock and I got fired, but he was just like, Andy, please go to them and beg for your job back. He says, you, you've got to get your job back. He said, you do not want this on your resume. And, uh, but that was him coming from his paradigm of his world was you needed to build a resume. You need to make sure that you did everything right from the beginning to the end, your schooling and everything. And I told him then, I mean, I was already doing real estate stuff and I, I wanted to go a different way. And, uh, 
he didn't quite agree with it then, but years later, he now sees the wisdom in that. And I actually am able to help him with his, with investing advice and with some of his investments and rental properties and things. So we've patched it up since then. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And being fired for skateboarding, that'd be crazy. It'd be even crazier if you ended up being in the next Tony Hawk. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what a hell of a story that would be, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish I was never that good. I mean, I grew up in the Tony Hawk era. I mean, I, I looked up to Tony Hawk, uh, but I was never that good. It was never that good, but I definitely enjoyed it. So, so, so you do 10 to 12. I, I want to talk about both the flips and the wholesales yeah. and how you're able to do that amount of business on an annual basis. So let's, let's walk through flips first. Um, and can you, I guess, answer that question. How do you do 10 to 12 homes a year? What type of system do you have in place? And for somebody who's doing a couple flips now, what do you recommend um, to them? to get to the level of 10 to 12? 10 to 12 flips. Well, number one, I would say, do you love doing flips? Does it resonate with you? Do you like that? Um, I've worn every hat in my real estate business. And, when, and with flipping properties, a lot of those hats are, and obviously you're finding it, but you're there as your own project manager. You're running the Home Depot. You're making all the decisions. So I've done all of that. I don't do that anymore because I recognize that I don't like it and I'm not good at it. My first property, my first project, I couldn't afford to have anybody else do it. So I was the painter, I was the drywall guy, and then I coordinated everything as well. I wasn't good at it. And I really, even to this day, I don't love flips, which is why I only do about 10 to 12 a year. But to answer your question, how I do them, I've got a project manager. So I have a full-time guy that works for me who is a project manager. And all I do is I bring him to the project. Sometimes I don't even go there with him. I walk it with him, get his idea of what he thinks, what I think, we're on the same page, and I never come back. That's pretty much what it is. So he does everything. He runs with it. Somebody else lists it. It gets sold. Um, I, I don't like flips. And again, that's by choice. As you mentioned earlier, I'm a volume wholesaler. I do over 100 wholesales a year in multiple states. So if I'm wholesaling to people, obviously, you know, and your listeners know that I could flip them if I wanted to. I just don't like to. I just chose to go a different path. I prefer the quick nickel versus the slow dime. I prefer the wholesale model over the retail, but sometimes I just can't get away from it. So my retail company still does, you know, those 10 to 12, sometimes it's 15, 18, but you know. How are you financing those flips? Um, I'm fortunate enough now, I've been in the business for 12 years. I actually, you know, I self-financed almost all of it. So I, I don't go for, I don't borrow hard money. Um, I never really have, I used to use private money more, uh, but I, I self-finance my flips, so. And- with your wholesale business, you are doing a hundred properties a year in three different states. How does someone, again, same question, how do you, how do you create a system in place so you can start, you know, if, if someone is doing maybe one or two every month or so, how do they get to that level? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I didn't start out doing that many. Uh, I grew organically. So I'm not a guy that came at it from, Hey, big business, let's build this. I came at it from, I loved the wholesale model. I love the idea. So I wore every hat in that as well. Meaning I would put together the marketing. I would answer the phone call. I would screen the seller. I would run comparables. I would put together a little package when I'd go out to meet them. I would close that sale, meaning I'd get the contract signed. And then I would turn around and have investor buyers. Then I'd be the transaction coordinator. I did everything, everything. And what I recognized there was, although I loved, you know, wholesaling properties and I loved meeting with private sellers, I didn't like the details of certain aspects of what I just told you about. And I really didn't like answering the phone calls. Anybody that's been in this real, gone to private sellers and done marketing and things, recognize that when you're paying to have the phone ring, you probably need to answer the phone. And that, for me, it was like nights and weekends. I just didn't enjoy answering the phone, right? Having to always react to that phone. 
So I hired, my first hire was somebody to help answer the phones and screen all phone calls and do all that. And when I did that, I realized, you know what, this is pretty cool. Now I don't mind cranking up the marketing because I'm not the one answering the phone. So then I cranked up the marketing and then that got kind of crazy. So I hired somebody to do the marketing full time. So I had two guys working for me, one answering the phone, the other one keeping the marketing going. And I was running like crazy, running around seeing all these sellers and I needed people to help me do all the background work, comparables and all that stuff. So I had that going on. Then I needed somebody doing transaction coordinating. Then it just kind of grew from there until the last piece that I, that I stopped doing was what I said I loved at the beginning. And I do still love it of visiting private sellers and working those solutions because I'm good at that and I love it. But I also recognize that was taking over my life. I mean, that was 40 plus hours a week of building rapport with these people and having you know appointments and then phone calls and follow-ups and all this stuff. And it just took over my life. So about a year, year and a half ago, I, I hired somebody to do that. So now I don't, I don't go see private sellers anymore either. So uh, did that answer your question, how I kind of organically just removed myself and stepped out of the business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many hire, you said first hire was answer the phone. Yep. Second hire was crank up the marketing. Yep. Uh, your last hire was visiting with private sellers. Um, so how many hires were there in that line? I got first and second. Yeah. And I skipped a couple there too, because as it grew, my guy that was answering the phone was also doing the comparables. He was preparing all the stuff for me and during transaction coordinating. Well, he got too busy with that. So we had to hire somebody else to answer the phone. Then he just became a guy that was running the comparables and doing transaction coordinating. And then my marketing manager, the marketing guy, he actually stepped up. He still does marketing manager, but he's actually my COO now, chief operating officer. And then we have an assistant for him as well. And we have the acquisition manager who is the person that goes to see the private sellers. And we also now have a real estate agent because the tailings, if you will, of all these phone calls, the people that won't sell to where you can wholesale it or do a seller finance that, that makes sense. Um, there's people there that still are viable leads for a real estate agent. So we brought that in-house. I own part of a brokerage and an agent that works in that brokerage. Now uh, he works those leads basically full-time for me as well. So I think. I, th I think most listeners, and I'm, I'm making an assumption and generalization, um, usually those are get, get into uh, territory that we probably shouldn't, but I'm going to make a generalization that uh, most listeners would want to scale their business that way. But the primary thought for why they don't is I don't have the money to pay these people. Yeah. So when do you identify, first off, how do you compensate them? Uh, and then secondly, when do you identify the point where you need to bring on someone else. Um, is it a cash flow? Is it a time thing? How do you do that? Okay. I'm going to take a step back before I take two steps forward on the answer. When I went and I got fired from my job, the reason I, I was, I was doing real estate on the side while I was working my job and I was actually making more money in real estate on the side, but I wouldn't quit my job because it was stable W2 income that I thought allowed me to get loans on properties and things. I'm a very conservative guy, right? So when I got fired, I wasn't really scared because I didn't have a lot of bills. I've always been financially responsible. I was saving more. I was doing the real estate thing. So let's transfer that now to the question you asked. How does a guy do that? How do you step out there and take that risk? Well, now that you guys know that about me, you know that I'm not a huge risk taker. I'm pretty calculated in the things that I do. So what I did was my first hire, he was actually a guy that came to me and he said, he knew that I was doing a lot of stuff. And he said, I want to learn from you. So I was like, okay, you can, you, know, you can learn from me, but I need some stuff done. So what we worked out was one, it was kind of a mentor mentee relationship partially, but the other part of it was I didn't pay him a dollar per hour. I gave him a percentage. I gave him a percentage of the stuff. So the risk really wasn't on me. If he couldn't do the job and keep it cranking for me, then I really didn't have much risk. So that's how I answered that one. My marketing manager was the same deal. If he, I want him, 
anywhere in my organization, I want my people to have their incentives aligned with me. So if my marketing manager does his job right, he should have good, effective marketing that's cheap or you know, less, I don't want to say cheap, that's, that is effective for the money, if that makes sense, that my cost per leads are down. So the only way to align our, align our incentives there, I felt like, were to give him a percentage of the net. So meaning keep the expenses down, keep the revenue up, right? And then he can share that percentage with me. So that's what I did there as well. There's actually only one person on my team right now that is not compensated that way. There's only one person that gets a guarantee, if you will. Everybody else, essentially, they work for themselves. They work for me full time, but they work for themselves in that I don't put a cap on what they can make. When we have a great month, Joe, I'd tell you what some of these guys make and you'd be like, you could hire it for less. And I don't want to hire it for less because you won't get their heart for less. And my team, I feel like I've got their heart. They go out there and they work hard. I don't have to babysit them or micromanage them. They are self-incentivized. They definitely want to, they want to do well for themselves, which in turn does well for me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I will have some comments that are eerily similar and parallel to what you do. And I'll, but I'll save that for the, the closing. Okay. Um, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? <sighs> best real estate investing advice ever. Stop learning and just do something because that's where the real knowledge is going to come. Take action. People, a lot of people I see that read books and they go to these classes and they're eternally learning stuff. And that's good. You need a baseline knowledge. But I learned by jumping in with both feet. I did my first property and I learned so much from that first property. And I fell on my face like everybody does, but it didn't like it didn't end me. That failure was a stepping stone. It wasn't something that was like stopped my progress. So I think people learn so much more by just taking action. So I want to encourage people take action. Just take action in a direction. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Don't you deserve to have all your deals funded in lightning quick speed? I agree. That's why I've partnered up with our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, to bring you the best crowdfunding crash course ever, where you get all the info you need to know about crowdfunding so that you can close more deals. Tune in every Sunday this February and you'll be treated to the best crowdfunding crash course ever. Best ever book you read? This is cliche. Rich Dad Porta, not because it's the best book, but changed my paradigm. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. That would have to be my first property, the treehouse. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And man, I, I learned so much from that. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I learned a lot. Was it an actual treehouse? It wasn't a treehouse, but I'd never had a treehouse as a kid. So I knew nothing about construction. I had no real estate people in my background. I just did it and everybody's like, you're nuts. But I was just like, if anybody can do it, I can do it. I went to it, just determination. Best ever success habit you practice? Every morning I write my goals. I wake up, I do reading, I do kind of meditation, prayer stuff, and I write my goals every day. Best ever deal you've done? My best wholesale deal, well, deal. I have my best retail flip. I made $187,000 net. I've got a video of that on my blog. But best wholesale deal, $80,000. $80,000 on wholesale. Can you talk about one of those in a little bit more detail, how it happened, and maybe a takeaway that you can give the best ever listeners so they can try and replicate that? Yeah, absolutely. The Let's go over the wholesale one, the $80,000 wholesale deal. Um, I do a lot of marketing. I find a lot of deals. So obviously, 80000 was the best one that I've done. So, but it was because I do so much volume. And this was just a guy, we gave him what he wanted. He was motivated, wanted to get out quickly, happened to be a fourplex. And he said, can you close in two days? 
we, my rep said, yeah, we can close in two days. So we didn't, we didn't have a lot of time for due diligence. We just knew it was a rip and deal. So uh, you don't steal in slow motion, as they say. And I, we signed up the contract two days later. I wired the money. We bought the property. Um, and then we didn't really know anything about it other than that. We have tenants that are paying. Uh, we just listed it on the MLS after that, or listed on our listing service. And we got a cash offer, and $80,000 was the net net on that. And left a finger on it. How long did it take you to sell? Um, from putting it on the MLS, I mean, it was, it was four weeks. Put it on the MLS a week later, we had offer, and three weeks later, they closed with cash. So and we didn't even fix a thing. We didn't do a thing. We collected rent once from these four people. That was it. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? You know what? It's a labor of love, but I Love Real Estate Stories is a video blog that I do. I do all these things from retail flipping, from lending to my wholesale company, but I'm excited because my brother's a documentary filmmaker, and a year ago I said, come work with me. So he works with me full time making these videos. We don't make all the videos of all the deals I do because that would be impossible, but we make cool videos um, of projects that we do, and I, I love working with him, and I love the videos we make. So that's a that's a passion project I've got. Best ever quote. You can get anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Zig Ziglar, right? Ziglar. Love the Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. What's the biggest mistake you made in real estate? Probably holding myself back, being too conservative. Being, and that's an, I'm a conservative by nature, but um, I always get, I, I tend to get partnerships at certain times in my life, and those partnerships are the gas, and I'm the brake. They'll, they'll just throttle down. And I tend to be the guy that's more like, hang on, let's wait. I'm the very conservative wait and see approach. And I've recognized when I've had people that in my life that just, that when I connect with them, that it just pushes me to a whole new level. So that, because I, we, I think we're stronger than we think we are, all of us are. And I hold myself back sometimes and getting with people who are push me, um, that, that's what I need. Andy, what's the best ever place to reach you? <sighs> Andy at I love real estate stories.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Um, I, I'm the Twitter account at uh, I love RE stories. I love RE stories is me for I love real estate stories. But Andy, I love real estate stories.com. Email me there. I'd love it if you guys check out the video blog. Again, it's a labor of love. Just just tell me how I can be better with it. And I just like to hear that somebody was inspired. Somebody was inspired for that. Does it, that does it for me. And that's the number one thing I've, I've noticed. It's in, uh, you know, Tony Robbins talks about it all the time where it, you'll, if you'll reach your goals, if you're inspired or you're disgusted by, um, by something, but if you're complacent or you're just kind of moping along, then that's where you, you leads into trouble. So I, I, I have checked out your, uh, your blog already and I highly recommend the best ever listeners. I think you all should go check it out as well. Um, and you know, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners. One, one thing that every single entrepreneur, not even real estate investor, but entrepreneur can take from this conversation is how you built your business and how you gradually brought on people to take responsibilities away from you while you, it freed you up to do other things that you want to pursue. I, I think the model of inspiring and educating uh, the first hire and paying based on a percentage of how well you two do together is ingenious. Um, And I say that uh, truthfully, and I also say that with a grin on my face because that's how I do it too. That's exact. That's how. I mean, for this podcast, that's uh, hi Callie, hi Kyle. They're my two interns um, who. Our Kyle helps with the inter- the interview guest selection based on predetermined criteria, and Callie does a social media promotion. 
Um, I educate them along the way and help them with their careers. And I also pay them a percentage based on the advertising dollars that we bring in. And I, we're all in it together. And I love how you did that with um, a wholesale business and how anybody in any business can do that. Um, and it's all about, as, as you were mentioning earlier, the Zig Ziglar quote, help enough people give they want and you'll get everything you want. Well, that's the, that it's, it's the foundation of that type of business model where you're helping them, you're inspiring them, and you're successful along with them. You're holding hands together, accomplishing some great things. And I, as you mentioned, you know, you've got their heart. You've got, you've got something a lot deeper than a transaction. And the more people I talk to, um, you know, the first person who mentioned this was actually Chris Clothier from Memphis Invest, where he's like, we grew our business. We're in Fortune 500 now because we focus on relationships. We don't focus on transactions. And when you focus on relationships, when you get to the core of what really matters to people and uh, being team members with them, instead of just colleagues or instead of you know just pieces in, in a puzzle, then that's where you're really able to get success. So best ever listeners, I highly recommend taking that approach. Um, it's a win-win-win for everybody um, whenever you're looking at your business. So take a look, hard look at your business and think about how, who can you inspire, who can you educate, and who can you give a piece of the piece of the action to so that you can focus more on stuff that you want to focus on. And then, you know, in, in Andy's example, my gosh, it just was a snowball effect and, and look where he's at right now. So thank you so much, Andy, for being on the show, sharing your best ever advice, and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Joe. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.